always waiting for. He was for... quite good in Creep Show, though. I did like that role. Yeah, it was really cold. Showtime. The zombies in that are ter- that's Tom Savini's work, isn't it? They looked amazing. So, but years ago, when he set up his website, I it said contact Tom, and I clicked contact Tom, and I put, "Hey Tom, I think you're great. Thanks. This website's really cool." And then about an hour later, I just got this, "Thanks, man." <laughs> T.S. <laughs> He actually replied. (laughs) Whatever. Right, let's go. everyone, this is Frank Riker. And this is Darren Sands. And today on the Slaughtered Lamb podcast, we're going to be talking about 1987's Robocop. Not the shitty 2014 version. No, not the shitty 2014 version. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. Yes. We've got a volunteer. The body is on the way. Sure. Old Detroit has a cancer. <laughs> Cancer is crime. In a row. As you know, we've entered into a contract with the city to run local law enforcement. We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? We get the best of both worlds. Onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. Hey, Lewis, it's Supercop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. What are they going to do, replace us? Murphy, it's you. Go get him, boy. Thank you. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. The future of law enforcement. RoboCop. Thank you for your cooperation. So, Darren, what was your first experience with this movie? So, my first experience with this film would have been when I was around about 15 years old. And I um, I think I went to the cinema to see Batteries Not Included and, and realized at the time that RoboCop was playing. In fact, RoboCop and Predator were playing. And of the two movies, I decided to choose um, to, uh, RoboCop to sneak into the auditorium just before it started uh, and try to watch the film. And I got halfway through. Unfortunately, there was an interval about, um, about 45, 50 minutes in, and uh, the usherette came in to sell the ice cream and spotted that I was this you know, young kind of 15-year-old lad in there and was three years uh, off the, uh, the minimum age for the movie. So... I got turfed out, unfortunately, and and I had to wait quite some time to see the second half of the movie, which I was genuinely gutted about because I thought the first 50 minutes were just awesome. So I saw this initial release back in 1987. My mom took me. uh, I was six years old, along with my brother, who was four, two years apart difference. So my father suggested that we go see it because it has said Robo and it had a cop. So it's, it's about a robot cop. And what cannot be any more fun than a cop being a robot and helping people? Well, as my mom sat there and we were watching the movie, you know, I could hear under her breath saying, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And she didn't want to leave. 
uh, because if you bought a ticket, you had to sit through it. Can't waste your money. So this is this was my first impression uh, of a movie that was just fun. I thought it was fantastic. You know, even at six years old, and uh, the rest is history. That's incredible that your mom actually allowed you to sit there and watch all of that <laughs> ultra violence without at any point whatsoever deciding to extract you from the auditorium and 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 put you in the latest Don Bluth movie or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of the opening? There's no credits. It just says RoboCop. Yeah, just get straight on with it. I think yeah. um it's it, straight in there and you you're kind of you're thrown into these these news reports, these kind of satirical news reports that are uh, you know, I think at the time I didn't appreciate them for uh, you know as how funny they actually were. And the president's first press conference from the Star Wars orbiting peace platform got off to a shaky start when power failed, causing a brief but harmless period of weightlessness for the visiting president and his staff. We'll be back in a moment. But um, watching them nowadays, they're, they're just absolutely hilarious. Absolutely ridiculous. hilarious. I was going to say that in the tagline was give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Just three minutes. Yeah, yeah. They, they cover a lot in those three minutes. <laughs> with a big smile on their face as well. We get introduced to Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller. I guess he just transferred in from a uh, a precinct uh, that was a lot better. I don't know if he got transferred on his own or he wanted to get transferred, but he looks like he's going into a bad area of Detroit um, that's having a lot of issues and problems. Yeah, he's 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 from the right side of town, and he's now the fish out of water, and. Um, and uh, when we first meet him, he's uh, he's 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 arriving in the locker room at the police station, whereas the uh, one of the, the the cops there has just been uh, killed in the line of duty, and um, he's introduced to his partner, played by Nancy Allen, a kind of you know fresh-faced and desexualized Nancy Allen, who um, at first she seems a little cocky. But you know, there's chemistry between them, and they set off on their first uh, their first gig for the day. People should know her from Carrie, Dress to Kill, Blowout, Terror in the Isles. And when we're introduced yeah. to her, like you said, she she's kicking someone's ass. She <laughs> <laughs> she's she can handle herself. But we don't think there's a sexual attraction between them. No, no, I think that Paul Verhoeven said it was important that they were they were colleagues and they were buddies. Um, they weren't, you know. There, there wasn't going to be any sort of romance between them at all in this role. It's the first time she's ever looked like this. She's carefree because she knows she's hot shit. She can handle it. All the main characters out of the side, well, just the two main characters, um, Anne Lewis and, and you know Alex Murphy, now we're getting introduced to what the writers have envisioned as capitalism run amok. Omni-consumer products, I think, isn't it? Yep, omni-consumer products. Now, I heard this was basically based on Reaganomics. The writers, right. yeah, they, they didn't agree. I guess this was, well, Paul didn't want to make this movie political. He just wanted it to be what the current climate of the United States was at the time. Yuppies and blue collars. And we're getting introduced to Ronnie Cox, uh, who's Dick Jones, uh, the number two man of OCP, and the old man, uh, played by uh, Dan O'Hurley. Yeah, that's right. Who we all know as Connell Cochran in uh, Halloween 3. And we don't know the old man's name. No, no. He's, he's simply referred to as, as the old man throughout. Old Detroit has a cancer. The cancer is crime. 
And it must be cut out before we employ the two million workers that will breathe life into this city again. And I guess they're they're just trying to take over what is left of Detroit. But it's not filmed in Detroit. No, it was filmed in Dallas. Um, I think they felt that Dallas had a better skyline for this movie than um, than than Detroit did. The boardroom scene is 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 you know really sets the tone for the movie. They talk about needing a 24-hour cop who's going to police the city and 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 basically clear out all the scum. And so Dick Jones introduces a I'm not sure if it's a is it a prototype at this stage? It is a prototype, isn't it? Um, yeah, he has it is a it is a prototype with orders. You know, and we could tell in this movie Bob Morton who's part of the security concepts division of this company. He doesn't like Dick Jones right away. He hates him. Oh, fuck Jones. But I, I think it's all has to do with that whole yuppie mentality is I want to push everyone away and get to the top. I don't care who I step on on the way up. It was like back in the early 80s. I mean, just the 80s in general was how much can I get on my way to the top? Dick Jones decides to do a, a, a demonstration of this kind of. Um, the only thing I can describe it as is it looks very similar to the to the Scout Walkers in um, in Return of the Jedi and briefly in The Empire Strikes Back. This huge kind of two legged robot with assault cannons for arms and really looking nothing like a cop whatsoever, more like a piece of military hardware. And they decide to pull a young, fresh-faced yuppie off the boardroom table <laughs> to um, <laughs> to hot, to point a gun at this thing to basically test its you know how good it is, and it does its job. <laughs> it, it does its job. The only problem is it's fucking deaf. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I first saw uh, Ed Two Hundred Nine Enforcement Droid Two Hundred Nine, I was like, that thing looks fucking cool. You know, six-year-old kid. I'm like, I want one of those. Yeah, I thought they really made him, you know, and I want to have him for Christmas. And, you know, that part in the boardroom, you know, that's the first time I heard my mom say, Jesus Christ, in in this exercise of death. Yeah, he holds the gun up at Ed 209 and Ed 209 instructs him to to put down the weapon and he's got 50 seconds to comply. I can't remember exactly how long it is, but... He drops the gun on the floor, but for some reason, as I said before, Ed 209 doesn't hear the gun drop and continues to um, chase him around the room. We also gave <laughs> No one's helping him whatsoever. In fact, they're all throwing him back into the firing line, and then it just unleashes on him, and he just gets turned into absolute mincemeat. And this sequence was really heavily censored in the UK. Uh, and when I actually saw the final version, I was gobsmacked. I mean, it, 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 there's nothing left of the guy whatsoever. He's just complete mush. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply.
<laughs> Nobody knows what to do about it. But I think everyone has their concerns about Mr. Kinney being blown away. Well, except for Dick Jones and the old man, who the old man is just, just disappointed that it, the robot failed. It's, it's just a glitch, as uh, Dick Jones would say. <laughs> he gets so pissed, not because it didn't work. It's because it cost the company $20 million. But it's it's amazing how the um, how the mood changes in the room in a split second. You know, you go from through one of absolute ultra violence, uh, right through to, to people crying and, and comforting each other. To okay, guys, let's get back to work uh, <laughs> in a period of a minute. But yeah, Bob Morton he he se- secures a presentation with the old man. All he really needs is a uh, is a candidate. He basically pisses on Dick Jones's tree. He's just so happy that he got this deal, and he's just like, "This is the way you know you should be done. When you see an opportunity, do it, and you know, gotta go grab it." Yes, now that's how it's done in the big leagues, Johnson. You see an opening? Well, it, it happened to be you know at the death of your friend, your colleague. And the one thing that I just realized today when I was looking into this, and I guess I should have known this from a long – one of my favorite movies from the 70s is, you know, when it, the, we went through a period of those kind of disaster films. One of my favorite movies was The Towering Inferno. Yes. And and um, Johnson, Bob Morton's buddy and one of the guys in the boardroom scene there, is one of the main firemen in, um, in uh, The Towering Inferno. That's right. He is. Yeah. He's the guy in the glass elevator when they uh, – have all that trouble and they have to get the helicopter to winch it off the side of the building. And, mm-hmm. you know, a very young, I think his name's Felton Perry, um, a very young Felton Perry, but yeah, I think he was the only kind of consistent um, character across the, um, uh, the Robocop franchise. I think he was in all three movies. He's the only person I think to be in all three films. Now, how did you feel being introduced to our main villain? Well, I would one of our main villains, Clarence Boddicker. Clarence Boddicker. Yeah, played yeah. by Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, Kurtwood Smith, who everybody says is an absolute gent. You know, it, I, I mean, he's the ultimate villain in this film. I mean, you know, he sets his stall out early in this film, just showing you exactly how brutal and ruthless he is. Watching some of the um, the making ofs on this movie, it appears that Verhoeven, although this isn't a secret, has a bit of a fascination with with uh, Nazi history. Um, and you only have to see Starship Troopers to realize that. Um, and he based Kurtwood Smith's character, Clarence Boddicker, on um, Heinrich Himmler. Kurtwood must have been so proud. But yeah, the glasses and everything. And uh, he, he he wanted that look for for um, for Clarence Boddicker. But the first time we meet him, he's, he's just at the back end of a, of a robbery. This is where Alex Murphy and Anne Lewis um, uh, go in pursuit of Clarence and all his goons, and they have a bit of a shootout on the highway, and they're dragged towards a, um, it's a steel mill, isn't it? Yeah, it's a steel mill yeah. in Pittsburgh. Now, we could tell that you know Clarence is a is a bit of a dick, even to his own men, because one gets injured in the shootout, and he throws him out of the fucking back. I say, can He's you getting- fly? <laughs> Can you fly, Bobby? He's getting rid of the slack. You know, there's no need for him anymore. Well, because I don't you I think he threw him out because the guy fucked up. Yeah, you're 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 your waste. You know, I'm not gonna take you to the hospital. He got shot in the leg, and I'm gonna use you for what I think 
you know, I'm going to need you for, and that's going to be a distraction. I'll throw you on the fucking windshield of the car. Hey, imagine if I can imagine my boss doing that. Here, do this. Throw me in the middle. of. <laughs> you have a boss like Himmler. <laughs> <laughs> Get up, Herr, Herr Riker. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so then Lewis is, um, so they split up at this point, and Lewis comes across one of the guys um, pissing. Um, and she she holds a gun to him, and um, he disarms her and throws her over a balcony. She had to take a look because he didn't zip. He did, yeah. She always oh, she had a peek, just like <laughs> Nurse Gallagher. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think uh, the character's name's Joe. I don't think he's Jewish. No. <laughs> but he could be. He could be. Now, after she's been knocked out, I think we get to the, the meat and the potatoes of the gore of this movie. I think this is... Yeah glorious scene throughout the, the movie and probably the saddest yeah it's horrific and you know as a as a 15 year old kid watching this and even in a sort of censored form as well i was pretty shocked you know i think the most violent thing i'd ever seen at that point was probably friday the 13th or american werewolf i guess mm. and and you know in terms of its level of violence this is way more graphic than those movies in the uk how much of that did they censor so you never saw um, the, the the amount of times that they shot at him was was cut down. Uh, you never saw the arm fly off, and you also never saw the panning shot where the camera goes round Alex Murphy's head before he gets the his brains blown out. Mm-hmm. Um, you never saw that at all. You saw you saw the back of the head come off, but you never saw the <laughs> the panning shot around the prosthetic. That really good expensive model of of peter weller that they made was just totally removed from the film i guess there's a few things with our censorship board in the uk where they they don't like people they don't like dwelling on pain and injury and so i guess that part of the movie you know does a lot of that (laughs) considering he doesn't die at that point you probably don't think i'm a very nice guy (laughs) do you buddy i think you're slime (laughs) see i got this problem cops don't like me so i don't like cops The U.S. Uh, theatrical release was basically that. Uh, we had we saw the hand. We didn't see the panning of the back of the head. We also didn't see the arm. So it was wasn't that. It, it could be that we got the same version that you guys did. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that different, you know. Until mm. I get the DVD that was unrated, you know, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rob Rob Bottin did a great job, you know, doing the the special effects. From what I understand, he just got pissed uh, eventually with the whole filming of this movie. And I think the second half of filming this movie, he just walked off. I, th- I think Verhoeven and, and Rob Bottin didn't get on at all, did they? No. Which is a shame. It's a real shame. I think he set the stage, you know, of what is to expect it from this movie. Yeah, but this 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 horrific, uh, basically, it was a slaughter of Alex. Yeah, and something, you know, that, 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 that comes up from time to time in, in, you know, whether you read articles or, or watch making ofs that this was Verhoeven's 
crucifixion, if you like. It had to be bad in order for him to be resurrected like he is. Now, I've never thought of it like that before, to be honest. I'm not a religious guy at all, but I've never I've never really thought of it like that. You know, there are various points in the movie where they reference the the, the resurrection and, and and the comparison between Alex Murphy, Robocop and, and, and Christ. And particularly, you know, one of the end sequences where he's where Robocop is shown to be what looks like walking on water. <laughs> he's really stood in a fucking puddle that's all. <laughs> but yeah it's an interesting comparison i don't know how much i buy into that but um i think paul Verhoeven, that's what was going on in paul verhoven's mind at the time the scene where they're trying to save his life uh i believe that's a real surgical team yeah they actually brought in real um medics to to um act as if um peter weller was actually in that physical state and uh, it's convincing it's convincing it it is, but in the in the meantime, we get flashes of his life. We know he's on the way out. You know, there's no way of saving him. You know, the the team tries. They do. It's 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 a nasty old scene. You get the hole in his head there, and you know you can see where his vest, as you said, hasn't hasn't performed very well. And you can, you know, you can see the uh, the, the the shotgun wounds in his chest. It's still unclear to me whether he's actually dead at this point. Whether are they, is he dead and they're trying to bring him back, or is he clinging on that last little bit? Well, there's that whole speculation that when you die, you see flashes of your life, and I think that's what Paul wanted to do was show glimpses of his life. And even back in the '80s, I think that was a big thing where if you saw your previous lives, you were on your way out. Uh, so I think that was the whole thing. But I don't think they really needed this. They don't think they really needed that part. Well, you get to see pictures of his wife and his kid and, you know, a, a real kind of cute sort of family images. Uh, it's not like <laughs> it's not like uh, Zarkov in Flash Gordon where he goes all the way back to being <laughs> born. You know, or, or watching the first time he got puberty or, or hitting puberty or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All you get in this is uh, are things that are relevant to the story rather than, you know, a whole library of uh, – some 50-year-old guy's life. But now we know who's the candidate to be RoboCop. Something that we know that is a machine. It's 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 a weird opening. It's him, bo- it's him booting up. Yeah, really. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It is him booting up. You know, we're seeing all the commands being listed. You know, essentially, I think he's not Alex anymore. Essentially, he is becoming robocop and it's not it's kind of gradual as well you know you you get little bursts of um of what he's seeing as they're working on him um and what's really cool about it is that they they really they hold back as much as they can on you actually seeing what robocop looks like but it was on the fucking poster when you saw (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right but he's actually treated as property they know he's part human but they don't say let's turn Alex into the RoboCop or Officer Murphy into the RoboCop. He's actually considered property, which, which is probably cruel within itself. It's 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 almost Frankenstein-ish. And what's really cool about this is as well that there's nobody really associated with, with Alex Murphy that's part of this team whatsoever. So they have no allegiance to him as a person. They have no feelings for him as a person. And so it's it's down to Nancy Allen to bridge that gap between Murphy and OCP. So now we get RoboCop after all this meddling and trying to boot him up. He's ready to go. He's ready to hit the streets. He's going to be introduced to 
the precinct again, which, you know, he worked at, but nobody knows that. Um, and we're going to catch up on him doing some uh, police work. He's going to go out and start patrolling. When um, Bob Morton introduces RoboCop to his uh, to his team, you get the tiniest of glimpses of RoboCop on a, on a computer monitor that's at the side there. I think you see the sort of um, his upper torso and a little bit of the mask. But again, we're not getting to see the whole, we're not getting the full reveal. Uh, and so that doesn't happen until he's presented to uh, the Detroit police station where, where Murphy worked. So they actually placed Murphy back in the, um, the same police station <laughs> that he did his last shift in. Now, you have to figure if they put RoboCop back in that precinct, it probably was a fucked up part of town anyway. Said, okay, we're going to put you where there's most crime. Okay, we're going to do it where Alex Murphy was. When you're at rest, you will sit in the chair. Yes, I understand. What about tracking? You check his exact location at all times. What'd you, th- what'd you think about when you first heard Robocop? The sound that it makes is just fantastic. You know, this sort of electrical sound and the, and, and the noise of his feet, you know, that bassy sound of his feet hitting the floor. Yeah, it's, it's it, it, again, you know, people have done robots throughout the years in movies, but this is one of those robots that really hasn't dated. No. It still looks cool. To, it still looks cool and sounds cool today. And even in the remake, the 2014 remake, which was okay, do you know what I mean? It was it wasn't awful, but it was just a sanitized version of what we've got here. Even that doesn't look as cool as um, as as the eighties version. I think it's because the costume it was is still was futuristic in the eighties and still looks futuristic today. And with the two thousand fourteen version, we expected. I think I when I heard about it being you know, remade, I was expecting the same armor, which it wasn't. But there is a stage in the remake where he actually wears this costume. And the moment that he loses it, you're like, no shit, what are you doing? <laughs> Put it back on. And, you know, not, and I'll just say one thing about the, uh, the remake is just Alex Murphy was always Al- Alex Murphy. He never lost his humanity. Like Robocop, this one, 1987 did in the beginning, you know, he's, he's more robot than human. Where I think in the 14th version, it was more, he was still human underneath robot. Now we got the prime directives as, you know, they're, they're testing him before they, he goes out on patrol. Directive one. Serve the public trust. Directive two was uh, protect the innocent. And number three was uphold the law. But there's a directive four. We have no idea what that is. It's, it's classified. Eat baby food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are your prime directives? Serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law. So so Robo's got this hidden directive for which which you know none of us know what it is until until later on in the movie. But mm-hmm. again, we're um uh Robo, you know, is is kind of showing off at um in the precinct and and none more so than in the in the shooting alley where he's showing off his is there a name for that gun that he has? It's it's a Beretta. It's just a modified Beretta, but there. I don't think there's an official. We're not we're not supposed to know that though. It's no. It's a it's a hand machine gun thing. It fires, you know, a, a, a couple rounds. You know, I shouldn't say a couple shitload. Of 
out. It's infinity. I've never seen him reload it. No, it must I, reload it in the leg. Yeah, it must <laughs> reload in his hip where he stores it. Now we get to see, you know, RoboCop going on patrol. You know, this is what he really can do. And, and this always reminded me of, of, of the first Superman film when, when um, Superman first gets his suit and he saves Lewis Lane in the helicopter. And he, he then goes off and does a bunch of super feats. I think there's a, a scene where he um, saves it, stops an airplane from crashing. He, uh, he, he stops a few burglars and he rescues a cat out of a tree. And this is kind of very similar. He, um, I think we get three robo feats. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a, some monster in a store that's uh, some, some ugly dude in a store that's, uh, that's, that's robbing the, um, the shopkeepers. And Robocop walks in, disarms the guy by bending the, uh, what is it, a machine gun or something? Yeah, you like, guys know more about guns than I do. <laughs> I got 16 here on my wall. We, right? don't, uh, we don't have that. We have whistles over here. <laughs> whistles and knives that have to be registered. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, 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 an, it's like, a, like an Uzi with an extended barrel. Now, if the shop owners you know, had their own gun, they wouldn't need Robocop. You know, Detroit people should have their own gun. It's required, but he um, he dispatches of him by throwing him across the store into a into a Miller Lite fridge or something. The next scene where we see you know the potential rape going on. I think before we you know we started recording this, you told me who this main rapist was. <laughs> you say that like I know. <laughs> I have a dossier of them. Yeah, but this is I think this is a guy called William Shockley, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And he, he this is where he started his career as um as a, a as a guy, as a rapist, yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting scene which he went on to replicate in Showgirls about <laughs> about twelve uh, ten years after that. Directed again by Paul Verhoeven. Well, and I can't imagine what that phone call must have been like. I need William. another rapist. <laughs> I need another rapist. We we find uh, RoboCop is really handy with a gun, not beside you know at the shooting range. That he actually shoots the guy in the balls between this lady's dress, between her legs. Yeah, that's a that was something I'd never seen before. I don't think I've ever seen anything since that's like this. This scene's one in a million. It's superb. And then his partner, the the, the creep number two. Uh, yeah, gives up right away. He's just like, I'm not getting shot in the balls. Who looks like one of the guys from Cobra Kai? Yeah, from the Karate Kid. Yeah. And then the the, the the final scene, as you said, like his third act of, well, I guess his third his third feat of uh, what he can do is he has a uh, public official being held hostage by another public official. The mayor's being held hostage. Which is an interesting scene because we've since learned that. Um, so this is in some sort of city hall with um, a, a big grand staircase up to the main doors. Two things we've learned about Robocop since this movie came out are that he could never get out of a car <laughs> with the full uniform on, with the full outfit on, and he he couldn't he couldn't walk up steps either. No, and so it's kind of expertly cut around the fact that. Um, uh, he can't do either of those things. Uh, I think a lot of the time Peter Weller was wandering around with um, either the top half of the suit on or the bottom half of the suit. But yeah, the, when when the stairs 
when he gets to the stairs, it conveniently cuts to um, to the inside of the city hall. And we're none the wiser. You went on the wiser now. First, don't fuck with me. I'm a desperate man. And second, I want some fresh coffee. And third, I want a recount. And no matter how it turns out, I want my old job back. Okay. And I want a bigger office. And I want a new car. And I want the city to pay for it all. What kind of car, Miller? Something with reclining leather seats that goes really fast and gets really shitty gas mileage. How about the uh, 6,000 SUX? Yeah. Okay, sure. What about cruise control? Does it come with cruise control? Hey, no problem, Miller. Let the mayor go. We'll even throw in a blob punk. Now, this guy, the guy who's holding the mayor hostage, it was he got fired. And that's the reason why he's holding the mayor hostage is because, you know, part of his agreement, you know, to let the mayor and his other cabinet heads or his other workers with him go was he wants his whole job back. Cause it's going to happen. You know, he's, he's going to get it back until robo spoils. it. And he, and he wants a, 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 a great American car with shitty gas mileage. The 6,000 SUX. That's one thing that was really cool about this film is, was, was that the, 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 the cars and the police uniforms were ahead of their time back in the eighties, but don't look out of place now. And they don't look cheesy and they don't look like misjudged or anything like that. They look like regular cops today. So, yeah, so Robo's using his thermal imaging to, to kind of figure out where, where the guy taking everybody hostage is. He breaks through the wall with his thermal imaging. You know, he knows exactly where to strike, breaks through the wall, slugs the guy in the jaw and throws him out the window. We then get a shot of the guy coming through the window from the street. And he bounces. And that's always bugged me as that. And he, I think even even Verhoeven picks up on it on the commentary. <laughs> the guy bounces. He's just like, yeah, there's obviously a trampoline there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it sort of fits the movie, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, this movie's not supposed to take itself seriously. No. no. But now RoboCop is the rage of the, of the, of the city. Everyone's impressed by RoboCop at this point. Hmm. Apart from Dick Jones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since RoboCop, I would say, had a pass with flying colors first round, Bob gets promoted. Now he's now he basically is. I wonder, is Bob a number two man now? I think he's he's getting close because he has the um, the black card, doesn't he, to be able to. I don't know why he kind of, you know, that guy was impressed when he was allowing him, you know, when he was swiping into the toilets. Ah, you've got the, you know, you've got the old uh, VIP card now. He has car blanche. He does. Is it a special car? Is it a special toilet? It's the executive, uh, executive <laughs> suite. The executive the, lounge. Yeah, the, the, the toilet paper must be two-ply, you know, instead of the one-ply that peasants have. <laughs> but there's still, and and you have a shoe shine in there, which is always sandy. And but the gap, and this is what freaks me out about American toilets. You guys like a big gap between the floor and the door, and you also like a kind of a decent sized gap between the actual door and the uh, the framework of the door. Mm-hmm. I can never get comfortable in an American toilet. For that reason, maybe is it just bars and and airports, or do you guys insist on having that in your houses as well? No, our, our houses are just 
regular. You don't have tools. <laughs> you walk by, see someone squatting, you just wave. Yeah, but I remember uh, I'd only been going out with my now wife a couple of couple of months, and she invited me to a wedding with her. A friend got married, and um, we checked into this hotel, which was in a place called the Cotswolds in the UK, and it was a pub. It was it was a kind of a hotel above a pub. It was very cozy, and I got into bed, and then I realized that the bathroom was right at the edge end of the bed, but it didn't have a proper door. It had like a cowboy saloon door, <laughs> and immediately behind that was the was the was the toilet. After two months, I was like, "This is way too." premature in our relationship to be using this kind of bathroom i'm not sure i'd even do it now after 15 years well, <laughs> oh, not, not everywhere is as fancy as those japanese toilets that will no 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 but we, we like our privacy in toilets here but i've never been able to you know be 100 comfortable in the u.s with toilets a concert my, my wife will call our our bathroom the water closet the wc yeah, I go. That's it's not, it's not cool to call it a toilet over there either, is it? You have to go for a rest. Yeah, we. we so there's a, we're, we're, we're we're getting sidetracked. So so uh, that will, that'll get, be cut out anyway. <laughs> oh, I might leave some of that in. <laughs> that's a toilet in the U.S. <laughs> um. So so we just had a, a moment where as Bob and um. Bob Morton and Dick Jones have just uh, run into each other in the bathroom, and Bob, uh, Dick has threatened Bob. He just he just said, you know, that you better pray that thing doesn't fuck up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's basically trying to come up in his slipstream. Um, he's waiting for him to 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 mess up with RoboCop. And the next scene after that is RoboCop fucking up. <laughs> 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 not, not, not literally fucking up, but he's he's he has a dream. He's remembering. He's, he's dreaming. He's he's not acting right. I think his 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 body is telling him, probably his mind as well, that we have to go out and investigate why we're having these dreams. I never knew why he just got up and left. He just he just sees these images of people with guns, and I I think he's reminiscing the pain. But then you know as He's trying to leave. You know, Anne comes up to him and tries to help him remember who he was. But Lewis recognizes who he is. She, she said this, you know, right after he's trying to leave the, um, the station, uh, Lewis starts to recognize him and she questions him as to who he is. She actually says, Murphy, it's you, isn't it? And he's, he's taken aback by that. I do love the fact that they've got these really nice, big, fancy um, police cars. And every time that they leave the police station, they prang the back end on the fucking floor. <laughs> it sparks up. Someone would, you think someone would have fixed that by now. But they probably shouldn't be speeding out that fast. This assistant of Bob Morton's as well, uh, the lady who kisses him in the um, when he first boots up, or at the, sorry, kisses him at the party. Her glasses are huge. Oh, they're, how they're, big are those fucking glasses? <laughs> bigger than Bono's. They're they're they're, they're fly like. And Sergeant Reed as well. 
He, I think he actually pops up in in a couple of. The, does he pop up in both sequels? Yeah, he's he's another one that only shows up in the third one. Yeah, one of um, one of Bodica's goons robs a petrol station, a gas station, um, and Robo intervenes, but it gets pretty messy. This part where the gas station explodes from, you know, RoboCop and I think the character's name is Emil. Emil recognizes RoboCop not by appearance, but by a saying that he had previously, which was, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And that's when you hear, we killed you, recognize, doesn't recognize him, but knows that he's someone of of importance to help him with his memory. But this part where the gas station explodes, I think the fire department was going to tell Paul that we're going to shut you down because you guys have no idea what you're doing with fire. <laughs> There's one of a few instances in this movie where um, explosions get out of control. <laughs> you know, the people were complaining that houses were rocking, you know, from the explosion. This had to be, you know, I think it would have to be one take because I think after this, the fire department was just like, no more done. Drop it. That are alive. You are coming with me. I know you. You're dead. We killed you. We killed you. We killed you. And before the days of CGI, it's a it's a pretty impressive explosion as well. Yeah, it's huge. It's a huge explosion. Mm. That must have hurt getting hit by that car. Yeah, the stunt's incredible. You know, Emil Emil drives off in the uh, uh, just before the petrol station explodes, lo- loses control. I presume skidding on the uh, on the gas that's out on the street, and collides with a car. And and it's it's a it's a like as you say, it's a terrific stunt. We're getting to the point where RoboCop. Robocop went back to the police station is checking the records for Emil's associates. And this is where we get a little bit of foreshadowing here because, and it was unintentional foreshadowing. So Robo ejects this kind of spike from his, uh, from his, from his fist, uh, plugs into the, the, the main computer and starts downloading the data that he's um, picked up from the petrol station, mainly Emil's face uh, to run it through the computer database. Now, at the time when they were making the film, that was it with regards to the um, with regards to the spike in his in his in his um, in his glove. But I think they uh, well, we'll talk about it later. But it plays more; it plays a part in the finale of the film. So it was unintentional foreshadowing. So it looks like after he's done searching, he's finds out that he killed an officer named Murphy, which that's what Anne called him. And he's looking at Murphy's last known address. Yeah, so so Robo decides to go and visit his um, his family home, which unfortunately has been since his death has been um, vacated. His, his his wife and kid have moved on, and that was one of the really cool things I thought about this movie was that it's it's all particularly sad that you know we get to know his wife through a series of flashbacks and his son. Um, but you never actually get that reunion at all no. at any point. Not in this film. And I always thought that was really cool. I always thought it would have been too sort of mushy to 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 have 
you know, that kind of scene play out. Now, do you think when he's going through his old home that it's quite eerie? It's creepy in a way that it's that vacant? It's really creepy. I mean, I mean stuff, stuff, like, stuff is left behind. Some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff that's still there. I guess they don't want to move the memories on. You know, he's finding his, uh, an old cup, you know, pictures of him with the wife and kid, remembering, you know, a little bit of past history, you know, but it's just, uh, but yeah, it, it's eerie. It's just imagine walking into your home and there's nothing there. I mean, there's, there's got to be something creepy about your family getting up and leaving. I think one of the things that that's you know uh, uh, you know this 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 sequence got a real emotional streak and and there are one or two sequences in this film that that that, that you know are, are quite emotional. But what I always remember as a kid about this sequence is it's one of the first times where you get to see in bright light the actual suit and the detail. And you know, let's just talk about the suit for a minute. Um, Rob Bettine designed it so that, you know, there were all sorts of designs that they came up with, and he was more intent on a design that looked like um, Judge Dredd for quite some time. Did you ever see that image? Yes. And, and, and Paul Verhoeven eventually talked him out of it. And one of the reasons that they picked Peter Weller for this role, you know, he'd done previously, he'd done Buckaroo Banzai. He's a, he's a really lean uh, but muscular guy. Uh, and they, they'd at one stage considered Arnold Schwarzenegger um, to play Robocop, but with the design of the suit, <laughs> they figured out that he, he was going to be fucking huge by the time he got all the gear on. Uh, and they likened him, you know, they thought he would look like the, the Pillsbury Doughboy <laughs> with all this uh, with armor on. But with, with Peter Weller wearing it, it just looks perfect. It's not too big. You know, it's not too, you know, it's not like Ed 209 that's the hulking and, and stood above everybody. He's a kind of average height, a very slim and slender build. I think it was a it was a bit of a nightmare for him, though. I don't think it was the most comfortable of of, of, of suits to wear. I think Rob Bettine no. built, he, he built like a harness that went over his body and then they literally hung all the all the parts on top of that. And they said during the shooting that they had to keep Peter cool by just throwing fans on him. Yeah. He would lose like six to seven pounds of water weight. Don't forget filming uh, filming between the months of August and October. I think the first initial uh, fitting took around about 10 hours to put the suit on. And then they got it down to six hours. And then they, they brought in this team that they called the Robo Team which was a group of guys that kind of, you know, helped fit the um, the, out, the costume every day. And I think the quickest they got it down to was 90 minutes. So, you know, it wasn't an easy thing to, um, to live with. So when Robo starts going after Clarence's men, you know, he finds Leon Nash, played by Ray Wise, who's a terrific actor in his own right. He's a character actor, mostly. Yeah. Uh, but he tries to kick Robo in the balls. It doesn't work. <laughs> and then we also get a little glimpse of uh, uh, Paul in, in the nightclub, dancing like a maniac. Yeah, Paul Verhoeven uh, with his only cameo. But this is the part where, you know, after that whole scene in the nightclub, we find out that Bob is going to die by the, hand of, by the hands of Dick Jones through Clarence. Yeah, Bob Morton's enjoying himself with a... With a couple of hookers that he's met, he's uh, 
He's enjoying the cold. <laughs> There's a saying for it. I forgot what it was, but yeah, he's enjoying some uh, some class A drugs with them when Clarence Bodica walks in. Is, and um, is he is he enjoying the fruits of his labor? It's something like that. Yeah, he's just partying hard. The, with the, yeah, with a bunch of hookers and cocaine. Well, you know that Clarence, but uh, well, Clarence doesn't kill him. He uh, toys with him. He shoots his legs and watch, lets him watch a movie. You know, well, not a movie, but I guess a, a message. He has him watch a message of Dick Jones saying, it's time to cash you out. You know, you're just a pain in my ass. Yeah, he's uh, he's not going to hang around anymore for Robocop to fuck up, so he's going to fuck everything up for him. No. And he leaves him a grenade. That's it. He leaves him a grenade as a present that blows him to hell. Which was a shame because as much of a as a you know as a, of a dick that that um, Bob Morton is in this film, you kind of like his character. You know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have RoboCop. He's he's the least of all dicky people. <laughs> <laughs> George Clooney's cousin, apparently. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And he died not too long ago, but in fairly young. Yeah, I remember him in Deep Star Six. And then I think this. I think the, the shootout of the cocaine factory is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this was supposed to be slow paced. I think the the cocaine factory shootout was supposed to be slow, but it wind up being fast, which makes it better. Oh, it's it, the editing's fantastic on it. They, um, I believe, they uh, decided that in order to make this work, they wouldn't let any. Once the action starts, they wouldn't let any shot last more than two seconds. Um, and you just have this kind of montage of chaos this is where he's as they say this is where he's most bird-like with his movements moving his head in different directions that the gun's going and being able to pinpoint people across the room without even looking at them it's so fluid but yet <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of machine there at the end now robocop is is he i think he's in a rest mode but this is a this is a pretty much police brutality but I do love the shot when Clarence spits the blood on Robo's mask. Now, when he starts, do you think RoboCop is toying with Clarence prior to arresting him? Or do you think he's got some pinned up emotions of what he had and he's the cause of it? I think it's a bit of both. You know, he's starting to realize, you know, who he is and what he's done. He's not he's not aware at this point because Clarence is about to tell him that, that he's that, that Dick Jones is behind everything but Robo knows for sure that um, he plays a key part in Alex Murphy's history but you know ultimately Robocop is what he is he is a cop he has to abide by the law you know as Directive 3 comes up you know on his screen that he has to uphold the law he can't go above it now, if that was you or I, I think we would have gone a little further. But maybe that's why it makes Alex Murphy the perfect candidate to be RoboCop, is that he knows where to go and how to, he can only go so far. Yeah, I think so. He's, he's obviously a well-respected cop, and, and they, you know, because they didn't choose Fredrickson, did they? He only, he only died the day before. They could have chosen him. You put him on ice quick. As I said before, he's from the right side of town. Evidently a good cop, and that's why he's chosen. And after Clarence gets arrested, spits on the uh, on the paper at the uh, 
precinct, yeah. basically warning Dick Jones that, you know, RoboCop is going to come see you. But RoboCop records everything that Clarence said because his memory and his recordings are admissible as evidence. You know, now we're, we're going to get to the point where RoboCop and Dick Jones are going to meet. And I think he's going to try to arrest them because he's associated with a killer. So, yeah, so this scene is where we we finally sort of find out what Directive 4 is. We find that out because RoboCop tries to arrest them, and he basically goes into shutdown mode. He can't arrest an OCP member, and he's going through pain. because he starts mal- malfunctioning and, and contorting and... You know, you, you see him in pain. His 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 vision starts to go. He's he's his back's arching, and he's he's he starts to cripple and falls to his knees. And it's and and this is where we figure out or find out that that this is Dick Jones's contribution to his um to his inner workings. He's added Directive Four in there. It's a little insurance policy called Directive Four. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown. What did you think? That you were an ordinary police officer? You're our product. And we can't very well have our products turning against us, can we? Now, you can can almost tell while watching that that the, the suit wants to shut down, but the human side of Murphy... Yes. Side of Robocop doesn't. He's fighting. He's fighting. He's he's fighting inside and he he knows what he wants, but 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 the his inner workings are, are, are going in a different direction. Dick Jones is now gonna eliminate Robocop by calling out big old bad Ed two oh nine to take care of him. Finish him. Yeah, he calls upon Ed two oh nine to come out and uh, as you say, finish Robocop, but you know, Robo starts to fight back, and this terrific, I think a lot of it's stop motion, fight sequence ensues. And, and again, credit to, to Phil Tippett for um, for putting this together. It's, uh, it's a great sequence. How memorable is it when, during the whole fight sequence, that you see a glimpse of Alex's eye through that mask? Is oh, I, th- I, think that's, I, th- I think it's crucial to the scene. You know, because with the, as you said before, you can see him fighting. You know, you've got two people, you've got two um, entities here. You've got Alex Murphy and you've got Robocop. And we're seeing more of Alex Murphy come out as he starts to fight not only OCP, but the, the, the body that he's been encaged in. And that eye must resemble, you know, world must, well, that eye must represent his soul underneath that. It's reminding you that he's, there's a person in there. And we're also reminded that Ed 209 also can't go down steps. They do carefully frame Robocop going down the steps there, but yeah, Ed 209's equally as bad at going down steps. So in order order to survive Ed 209 or Robocop, you just have to be in a stairwell. You can see that. Come down and get me. I can't do that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to stay here. And he screams like a child as well. Yeah. He falls on his back and screams like a child, and Robocop runs off. Um, but it's not quite over for Robo, for poor Robo at this point. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, Dick Jones has obviously called in uh, 
the Detroit Police Department are there to to take down Robo. Yeah, so Bob Morton's no longer around, and so you know Dick's kind of calling the shots at the moment. He he wants to eliminate all presence of Bob, and Robo is part of Bob Morton's program. But you know the, the heavy artillery we're talking about. They even call the SWAT team to eliminate him, and that's the order. But it's almost it is almost Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster being eliminated for what he is. He was made. He wasn't, you know, he was created. He, you know, by man, he wasn't born this way. So basically, as Dick Jones said, while Robocop was recording him previously, that he has to erase a mistake, almost like, you know, Frank, it's Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. And it's a, and it's a, it's a heartbreaking scene. It is, and the, the sequence, a great shot is is the one of him where he's falling to his feet and he's crawling along the floor with the white light behind him. Again, almost like um, shrouded in this in this white glow as he's reaching out for help. It's again another really emotional scene in this film. Fortunately, he falls through the different levels on the car park and lands right at Lewis's. Uh, lands uh, in front of Lewis's car. She helps to get him out of there. She's good to him. Considering she literally knew him for about 15 minutes, she's pretty good to him. Do you think she, <laughs> do you think she feels a little bit guilty? Um, yeah, I do. I do. I, you know, I think that, um, I think, I think it all stems from what she witnessed. I almost, I, you know? I did think she thought she was responsible. She wasn't there for him. So she wasn't mm. there now, but during the breaks and scenes, we get these these little tiny news breaks <laughs> of the ridiculous news how you know South Africa is going through a nuclear arms race and <laughs> and you know a defensive project out in outer space sent a whole bunch of forest fires around the <laughs> world, you know, burning thousands of acres. Now, that was supposed to be levity, I guess. <laughs> I do like Kiva Rosenberg. The unemployed guy that they interview on the streets, that <laughs> asking him for his opinion on why, whether or not the cops should strike. It's a free society, except there ain't nothing free because there's no guarantees. You know, <laughs> you're on your own. There's <laughs> a lot of jungle. <laughs> he was an interesting guy. I always remember my dad laughing at him. My dad worked in the drug squad. I remember when, when I first watched it with my dad, I remember looking over at him and my dad was kind of like... Yeah, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they look like. So Clarence visits Dick Jones. And we have this this kind of interesting encounter with Clarence and the secretary on the door, on, on um, Dick Jones's front door, which actually is, um, is uh, Kurtwood Smith's <laughs> wife in real life. And then, you know, the, the whole thing is, uh, I'm here to see Dick Jones, Barbara, but when... Uh... I'm done with him. Maybe you and I, maybe you could fit me in. <laughs> <laughs> and she gives him the, the, the daggers big time, which I believe he's, uh, he's quite used to. But, you know, the whole meaning, the reason why Clarence is there talking to Dick is because you have to eliminate RoboCop. You have to get rid of him. Not only does his, his recording evidence of both of them, but also is that there's going to be 2 million jobs coming into this vision of Delta City being built. And there's going to be those 2 million jobs are pure prime real estate for someone who wants to do deal with drugs, prostitution, gambling. And Dick basically promises them, you could be the man 
to do all this, get rich off these workers, but you have to go kill Robocop. And he's going to give him some serious firepower in order to do it. I was saying Ronnie Cox is great in that sequence. He's great. When he went, when Kurtwood walks in and he just goes, that thing is still alive. (laughs) There's no hello, no pleasantries, nothing. He just starts bitching straight away. Look at my face, dick. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think it's one of the, uh, the first times that Ronnie Cox has played a villain. I think he was a bit typecast as a kind of sort of everyman and a, a, a you know, if you see him in Deliverance, not the strongest of characters. But as we know, he plays another evil corporate guy in another movie directed by Paul Verhoeven. Total Recall. Another, uh, I think that was also Rob Bottin as well, wasn't it? Special effect. It was. So they must have made up at some point. Because uh, right now I think uh, Rob Bottin is untouchable with interviews. I don't think he does them. He's a very private guy. He still works. But he doesn't do any of that. And he was also Blake in the fog. So Lewis stashes Robocop or Robocop and Lewis hold out back where everything all started. The steel mill. And we get a first glimpse of what's under that helmet. Like the initial reveal of um, of Robocop. Again, they do this in stages. You just see it initially through a um, piece of metal that she holds up with a bit of a reflective surface on it. And then... Slowly, you start to see his whole face. And it looks incredible, doesn't it? The way that he's kind of, they built up Peter Weller's own face and sort of blended it in with the circuitry on the uh, on the back of the head. I wasn't scared as a kid to see underneath the helmet because he looked human. And is that a bullet in his forehead? That, yeah. When when he takes off uh, the mask, that was the kill shot. You know, you know, and the sad part, too, is, you know, as they're talking, he tries to get information about his family. And he refers to himself in the third person. You know, he, he just says, you know, Murphy had a family. He's, he's not fully accepting the situation, is he, at this point? No, not at all. And which is quite sad where he says, I can feel them, but I can't remember. Them. Like he knows they're there, but he has no idea what they look like, anything they ever done. That must be a really gutted thing. That must be terrible having that feeling. Now, since everything's all, I guess the police took a strike and all the criminals are loose. You know, but we never I, mentioned the, uh, I don't know who this guy is, but he keeps popping up throughout the show. Is this an American running gag or is it just something to do with the film? This whole, I'd buy that for a dollar. It's, it's like a stereotypical, you know, one liner. So it's not something that's known outside of Robocop. No, no, it's not like, you know, they were showing the Muppets on there, the Muppet show. Okay, It's not like a Saturday Night Live thing. Or- no. No, it's just, you know, some kind of comic relief that now produces probably more shirts now than anything. But the gang's all meeting up. They're all going to take out Robocop with these fucking tank cannons that they have on their, that they're going to go kill him with. And again, like the 6,000 SUX, the the artillery was ahead of its time as well here. This this thing looks amazing. That, That was the whole theme in the 80s. I think with with the states bigger and better. It was it had to be so overblown. You know, it had to be a nice looking car, but who gives a shit if it has shitty gas mileage? Be a big gun, and it has to make everything explode very big. Who cares who it kills? That's that's the, that was the whole theme the whole time when they're trying out this gun. There, wasn't there a part where there was an explosion that was too big and it almost you know burnt the hair? Oh yeah, you you see that you see the uh, it's the sequence with um, 
Emil shoots the porno shop or the porno theater. And was this whole place a set or was it an actual street that they got to tear up for a short period of time? They built they built four buildings. Oh, really? Okay. You know, and that thing explodes, and and Kurt and uh, Ray were just like, "What the fuck?" And then we have Robo and Lewis. They're they're um, they're expecting something soon. So um, Robo's uh, having a snack. He's uh, he's tucking into some uh, sweet potato and raspberry um, baby food, <laughs> and um, and pra- and doing a bit of target practice as well, which. Uh, which Lewis helps him out with getting his sights together. Now he, he, even though his mask is off, he, he still, we're still not bothered by his face. Most of us. I think his face fed quite well. He, you know, so Clarence gets there with his gang. I always thought, what do they call the black guy? I can't remember his name now. Joe. Joe. I always thought he just got, his death was really understated. He just kind of, gets shot in a bit of a melee and that's it. He's done. Yeah. He's, he had it pretty easy throughout the whole movie though. Yeah. He fell off a, a couple of scaffoldings and now he's really gotten his due. Uh, but you know, at the steam mill where they're trying to kill RoboCop, this, the part where the van goes through the toxic waste and a slimy melting Emil emerges out of the back. I mean, that, that, that makeup, I mean, I, I think people in the theater put their popcorn down and was just disgusting. Oh, that's horrible. He's just like a walking booger. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, his, his, his bones are coming through. I mean, it looks like he has condoms on the end of his hands. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that 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 is more that is probably more the most disturbing makeup. It's his hair. It's his nails are dropping off. His hair's melting to his head. His lips are falling off, and he's you know he's asking for help. What the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> How can you help that? I mean, when he when he runs into you know Nash, Leon Nash, Ray Weiss's character, you know it's it's he doesn't want anything to do with him. He's like, Get, like don't touch me. <laughs> he's screaming running away from them, you know, and it goes to, it goes to show that the gang doesn't care about each other. You know, as we said before, that's how, you know, Clarence easily dispatched one of his guys who got shot in the leg, threw him out of the car, went through him out the van window into the windshield of a cop car. Now, Clarence, when he mistakenly by accident runs Emil over and he just turns into liquid with the, with a head rolling over <laughs> the car I mean, that was probably the, the, the best way for him to die because it was painless. You know, but I'm, I'm sure him melting was just crucial, bad enough. I think the MPAA insisted on on them removing that sequence initially, but You're right. the, test, the, the test screenings in the U.S. were, were through the roof, and, and that particular shot of, the, um, of Emil getting destroyed by Clarence's car was one of the highest rated sequences in the film during the test screening. The fans loved it. They did, and, and the producers just said, no way, no way are we going to lose this sequence. <laughs> Out of the whole movie, that's the one thing everyone remembers. Yeah. That should yeah. be a, 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 a NECA action figure. And it's no worse than, than anything that you see in The Thing. No. You know, so what, what's the point? And again, Rob Bottin's work. You know, so... 
we're getting to the point where it's it's getting close to the end. You know, RoboCop has as Clarence, you know, cornered, but Leon leashes all these steel beams on him, and then we find out Anne takes out Leon with a artillery cannon. Clarence is trying to kill RoboCop, and while he's under that beam, shoves a spike right through his chest. A, a metal spike. He does, yeah. He starts hitting him. Um, Robo defends himself a few times, but ultimately, um, Clarence, uh, it's what is it? It's like a javelin of some sort, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a, yeah. Just a long metal spike something. But, you know, he, he got stabbed, and then, well, Clarence gets stabbed too, right? The jugular, doesn't he? He does. And this is what we were talking about earlier. The, um, the data connection spike that Robo has in his gauntlet, they eject that. Now, they, the, the producers, the director, didn't know how to end the film. They didn't know how to dispatch of, um, of, of, of Clarence Bodica. And then someone came up with this idea of using Robo's data port connection spike um, to, 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 to smash Clarence in the jugular with. And it's a, it's a pretty juicy scene. Big glob of blood spurts out. You know, and he has a, an almost Shakespearean death. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that these, these bits of footage that they've restored back into the, um, into the director's cut, they don't quite look right, do they? I don't know if you've yeah. ever noticed. Yeah, they've obviously been lying on the cutting room floor for quite some time, and, and when they've inserted them back into the film, the quality's not quite there with the rest of the movie. But it's, either way, it's still good to see it. Robocop's not finished. He's not. He's got one last thing to do. Yep. He's got a tour two. Two. He's got to get rid of Ed 209, which he does quite. Effectively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess he's trying to, I guess he's going to kill or try to take out the, the head of the snake of all his problems. Yeah. Dick Jones is addressing the boardroom again about how effective Ed 209 is, even though Ed 209's lying in fucking tatters downstairs. Uh, the wiggling toe. With the wiggling toe. And um, and Robo interrupts the boardroom, you know, explains that Dick Jones wanted for Bob Morton's murder. Plays it back for the board to see, including the old man. Who well, uses his spike again. It's still got... <laughs> Bodica's blood on the spike when he plugs into the TVs. It's great for continuity. Dick Jones is now he's, he's he knows the jig is up. He's been point he's been found out. And the only way that Robocop can actually get rid of that directive four for the number two man is he has to be fired by number one. Dick Jones winds up getting shot out of the window. <laughs> Which looks like a claymation model of some sort when he gets yeah. Doesn't he look like his arms are longer than his whole body? He does. That he, bothered, um, that bothered me. Kid. Mr. Fantastic. You know, and then after that's all done, we have the, uh, you know, the old man, you know, saying, you know, nice shooting son, what's your name? Now, originally they were going to put just RoboCop. That was his name, but it was nice that they changed it and they said his last name is Murphy. Yeah. Because now he's, he knows that he's human. Can we just go back to Dick Jones falling out the window? Because even as a kid, that looks shit. <laughs> <laughs> you think I remember, he fell out, he's going to fly. <laughs> I remember seeing that as a kid and thinking, that's fucking terrible. <laughs> w- 
Wouldn't it be, you know, a little bit poetic if he shot him on the same table as Kenny? Yes. That would have been interesting. Left him there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they just continued the board meeting with, you know, Dick Jones's body on the Delta <laughs> It's just a glitch. It's just a glitch. So that was RoboCop. RoboCop. That was a lot of fun. What was, what is your overall impression of RoboCop? I mean, to me, it defines the 80s. It's a movie that is part of 80s culture. Yeah, I, th- I think that, um, again, as I've mentioned earlier, I think they were way ahead of their time in, in their vision with the movie. It, um, it doesn't look, apart from Dick Jones falling out the window and a few um, stop-motion animation uh, sequences, it hasn't really dated. The practical effects, the suits, the visual effects, the... The, the makeup and everything all looks first class. It really does. And, you know, I can watch it now. I could show my, my nephew it. Either one of my nephews are all varying ages. And they would love it. Absolutely love it. Because it, it, it feels timeless to me. It's kind of like Escape from New York in a way. You know, that movie to me just never seems to age either. Okay, you can pick on a few of the... A few of the the matte paintings, or you know, uh, the plates in the film, whatever. But on the whole, the story, the idea, the performances, the costumes—it just hasn't dated. Same with Predator as well. I, I agree a hundred percent. The the movie for me was back to a, a time where I had the most fun during the eighties growing up. Everything was pushing the limit. The special effects, the stories, we're trying to go past of what we knew back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's a movie, like you said, that still holds up. It's a movie that you could still think that it's in the future. It's This is what's going to be like in the future. Uh, men and robots coming together, you know, crime getting out of hand. And that was what the 80s was. Overconsuming, futuristic, cell phones, new inventions. Everything was bigger. Everything was louder. Everything had to be consumed. This movie it was just a fantastic part of my childhood. I absolutely love it and still watch it to this day. So that was RoboCop. Um, Frank, should we talk about it next week? Sure. We're going to have a anti-Friday the 13th podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about how terrible Friday the 13th the first one is um, because, you know, it's going to come up on the 40th anniversary of that series and I thought we would talk about it and all the bad things that come with that one movie. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm not too keen on that movie at all. No, it's not one of my favorite series. Uh, you know, the first one is so drawn out, but we'll get into that when we talk about it. And if you guys have got any suggestions of any films, you know, you know the sort of things that we like watching. And I think there's a pattern emerging now. If you guys have got any um, suggestions of the kind of things that we uh, should maybe talk about on an episode, then feel free to suggest. We're open to any ideas. Yes, please do. And, uh, As always, stick to the roads and the best of luck. Just give me my fucking phone call.